Welcome to the Expert Series, brought to you by the Lupus Foundation of America. Our health education team is here to bring you experts in lupus to discuss topics to help you live better. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. My name is Alicia and I will be your host. Today we will be discussing telehealth and lupus. But before we begin, I want to welcome our guest for today, Dr. Donald Thomas, who teaches at the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center as an associate professor of clinical medicine of the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences and author of the Lupus Encyclopedia, A Comprehensive Guide for Patients and Families. Dr. Thomas is also a practicing rheumatologist in Greenbelt, Maryland. And just a fun fact, Dr. Thomas was one of our first expert presenters on the expert series, and I'm so, so glad that he's back again with us to share important and quite timely information about telehealth and how to prepare for your visit. So welcome, Dr. Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you very much for having me, Alicia. In fact, I'm sitting in my office at my house because I just got done with my telemedicine visits with my lupus patients today. <laughs> I did everything online. Uh, if you hear my dogs impaired in the background, I hope you excuse them. <laughs> Likewise, my dog is right here, but thankfully he is napping. Um, so let's dive right in. Telehealth has become more prominent, especially given the current climate. So to start, can you tell us what is telehealth and are there differences in the telehealth that's being used currently to comply with the coronavirus safety measures and telehealth that would be used under normal conditions? Uh, sure. Uh, many people might, might not realize this, but telehealth, also known as telemedicine, has actually been around for a long time. Uh, when the nurse from the doctor's office picks up the telephone and calls you at home to ask how your sugar finger sticks for your diabetes are doing or gives you some instructions for your physician, that's actually a form of telehealth. It's any time that we use technology to provide medical services for patients. Another example would be uh, many, uh, many doctors use patient portals where the patient can communicate with the doctor uh, via uh, internet and going having that back and forth communication via the patient portal, that's a form of telehealth as well. Today, we mainly use it in the context of COVID-19, where we're now using video appointments where patients and doctors can see each other on the internet and hear each other as their uh, appointments uh, go. Um, and so that's how we're using it uh, today. We have several different platforms that we're using with the COVID-19 environment. Uh, one example would be the video telehealth uh, via the online platforms. Uh, this usually requires a, a com personal computer, a laptop, or a tablet, or an iPad that has internet capabilities. Or you can use your smartphone as well that has a, a webcam on it so you can communicate with your doctor. Uh, another option would be having a smartphone where you can use even something like FaceTime on your iPhone or other platforms, even Skype. A third method of telehealth uh, with the COVID-19 epidemic would be telephone visits. So people who are not technologically savvy or don't have a computer, they can have an actual office visit with their physician using the telephone. And then a, a, finally, another platform that is available is something called e-visits. 
Eva can use either email or it can use the patient portal where the patient and the physician can communicate back and forth with each other regarding problems, test results, and, and, um, and recommendations uh, for care as well. Uh, with using these services, um, uh, written consents are not required. Uh, Medicare and insurance companies are reimbursing the physician offices to cover the expenses of these, which is which is really nice. But the pa you as the patient, you do have to give formal uh, formal verbal consent consent uh, before each visit. You have to be able to tell the doctor verbally that you give him or her permission to bill your insurance company. And a really nice thing that a lot of insurance companies are doing, which I think is fantastic, is that they realize a lot of people don't have very much income because so many people are getting laid off that many of them are not even requiring patients to pay their co-pays for these visits, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm, exactly. I agree with that. And it's great to see all the options that people have, especially if you're more on the non-tech savvy side. Um, so what are the benefits of telehealth? One big benefit is no commute time. <laughs> I, I, I'm in the Washington, <laughs> D.C. area where it can easily take 30 minutes to an hour. Some of my patients even come here in two to three hours um, from the surrounding areas. But with uh, with telemedicine, it's instantaneous, which is amazing. In addition, there's usually no wait times. Sometimes people wait a long time in the waiting room, uh, but that is completely taken away most of the time. It's also easier to see uh, your physician. Um, I'm finding in our clinic, for example, that we have lots of openings. Let's say that you want to see your doctor right away. Just pick up the phone, call our office, and you can see someone in our office even that same day or, or the next day, much easier than in the past. Another uh, nice benefit is regarding the, ex the access to your doctor. For example, most of the time we're so busy that we have our nurse or medical assistants communicate with our patients regarding lab test results and explanations uh, and so forth. But now with telehealth, uh, if you want to talk face-to-face -face with your doctor about these results, it's much easier for you to ask my medical assistant to do that face-to-face -face encounter for me to go over everything specifically with you. So there have been actually a lot of benefits that many of my patients love, and they like it even better than when we had the uh, in-person visits. And what about drawbacks to telehealth? Are there any, and also what are some solutions that can be helpful to address them? Sure, just a couple of major drawbacks. <clears throat> Number one is we can't do a physical examination. Um, on the telehealth, when we're doing video, we can ask patients to point out things on their skin or in their mouth or move their joints for us uh, and things like that. But for example, on the skin, sometimes it's very difficult to get the proper lighting for me to be able to see exactly what's going on. And so for patients who are ill or who have a new problem that really require a, a hands-on physical examination, especially things like listening to the heart, uh, listening to the lungs or palpating or, and feeling on the abdomen, those things we really have to see in person. The way we're dealing with those is that at least one doctor is in our office uh, every day of the week to see urgent patients to see them in person uh, to help take, uh, take, take care of that. 
part of things. Um, in addition, the, we can't do injections, and many of our patients rely on cortisone injections or gel injections for their joints uh, for arthritis pain. Also, of course, intravenous infusions must be given in the office as well. So there are some things that uh, you certainly can't do by telehealth and you have to do in person. Right. So moving on, what about privacy and the safety and security of sensitive information that's being shared across these digital platforms during a telehealth visit? Yeah, that's a very important thing. Um, the <clears throat> When the COVID-19 problem started and face-to-face -face doctor visits ended up abruptly, Medicare and the government were fortunately very quick to jump on this. There's a set of laws that most people know about called HIPAA, which came about in order to uh, deal with modern technology and to protect patients against their private information from being shared inappropriately, uh, such as through the internet, emails, and things like that. And it's pretty strict as far as how we could use it. And before COVID-19, we could only use platforms that were highly secured and built specifically for healthcare. And there's some healthcare companies, for example, Doximity. Uh, we use one called Doxy.me for our video care. And those were the only ones that could be used. And it was used for people who lived in very remote and rural areas because that's the only way that they had access to healthcare. But the government realized that this was just not feasible with the COVID-19 problem because not everybody is able to use technology to use these. So the government did lack the HIPAA requirements. And the way that goes is that we can now use things even like email. We can use FaceTime on iPhones. We can use other smartphone uh, platforms, even things like Skype, and these are not secure whatsoever, but the government is allowing us to use them because there's no other way to give good health care to our patients. However, it does not get rid of the fact that patient information can only be given as a need-to-know basis. So a doctor, even though he might be able to email a patient back and forth or talk to them on FaceTime, even though these are not secure platforms, that healthcare provider is not allowed to share that information with anyone uh, because of the HIPAA laws. So it's a lot more lax, but we still respect, respect the privacy of our patients. Absolutely. And so what is a telehealth visit like for someone with lupus? Let's say they've made their appointment. What can they expect? Uh, sure. What happens is initially our office contacts all of our patients either uh, through email uh, or by a telephone call, and we let them know what the process is as far as using uh, the telemedicine. We use a platform called doxy.me, and so they send them information on how to go to the doxy.me website and type in my name in order to see me for, it, uh, for a visit. Before the actual visit, they, they get a date and time just like any appointment, and then about 15 minutes beforehand, my medical assistant will call up the patient. She'll check them in just like she normally does, uh, opening up their chart, asking them questions about how they're doing, updating the medication list, 
Uh, and then once she's done with the patient, uh, she'll turn them over to me. If the patient is able to do vital signs at home, for example, if they have a blood pressure machine that can do heart rate and blood pressure and a thermometer, she'll also ask them to do their vital signs to have that ready for me as well. And then when we're actually on the visit, it's me seeing the patient on my computer. I can see them uh, through the, their webcam. I can hear them directly as well, and, and they can do the same thing with me. I have a chat box on my uh, platform as well. For, so, for example, let's say I bring up a medical term that uh, you know is long and difficult for them to understand. I can type that word on the chat box so the patient can see it and write it down so that they can Google it or look it up uh, through other means. And so that's a really nice thing. Uh, it makes it very easy to have a really good visit with the patient. That's a really great feature. And I definitely can see how that can be helpful during a visit, especially if someone wanted to look something up after. Um, so how can someone with lupus prepare for their telehealth visit? And this is really important, I think. Um, I, I have a patient Facebook education page, and I was asking um, my members about how they're using telehealth. And this was actually one of the biggest things that they brought up is that some of them, when they went to their first telehealth visit, they weren't prepared for it. And they thought they could have had a much better visit if they were to prepare. And so these are the things that I would recommend doing. Number one, you always want to test your camera and your microphone before the visit. So communicate with a family member or a friend and have an actual uh, visit webcam visit with them over the computer just to make sure you can hear them, they can hear you and see each other and vice versa. Or if you have an iPhone or another smartphone and you never have never used FaceTime or the um, webcam on that, do the same thing. Uh, get some help from a family member or a friend and learn how to use it, become familiar with it, use it, use it a few times if you're not technologically uh, savvy. And, and then when you have your appointment with the doctor, it'll be so much easier and you'll feel much more comfortable using it and you know that it works. In addition, you can make sure that, you're, uh, that the room that you're in is good. For example, it's a good idea to have a light in front of you uh, that's behind the computer that shines on you and that way the doctor will be able to see you really well and you can make sure that your uh, family member or friend can, can see that your environment that you're in is a good environment for that. Just like with any doctor's visits, make sure to write down some questions and topics. Uh, if you have any new problems or new symptoms, make sure to write those down so you don't forget to ask your doctor during the visit. Um, if you've been on any new medicines, write that down as well. You do want to make sure you have a pen and paper and make sure that you you know you write down anything that your doctor tells you to do just like you should at, at a regular doctor's visit. And as I mentioned, we have a chat box on ours. I, I think it's a good idea that you as a patient, when you when you first start your visit, ask your doctor, say, do you have a chat box and can you type down any uh, difficult terms for me to see or any instructions so that I know that it's that I can remember to do everything okay. And that's a good way to um, be proactive in your visit to ensure that you have the best visit possible. If at home, if you have a blood pressure machine and a thermometer, that'd be incredibly helpful. Make sure to uh, take your blood pressure, check your heart rate, and check your temperature and have those ready before the visit so you can give those to your healthcare provider. 
then um, and then also if you have a caretaker at home or if you have a family member who would like to join you during the visit, uh, make sure that they're uh, there with you as well. Having two set of ears to hear instructions can be very helpful and sometimes your loved one might remember something that you might have forgotten to ask. And those are the big things that I would recommend as far as preparing for the visit. Great. And do you have any recommendations about what someone should wear during a visit? Uh, that's a great question. I've, I've done a lot of telemedicine visits so far, and, and my patients have ran the gamut as far as what they've been wearing. And, and, and me personally, I have very good relationships with my patients, and some of them have been in their pajamas, and that's perfectly fine <laughs> with me. But, uh, but you know, and I would recommend, you know, dressing just like you would for any doctor's visits, but it's definitely not required, and, and I didn't mind at all what people were wearing. However, if you have something that you need to show the doctor, you definitely want to wear loose-fitting clothing that you're able to show that uh, part of your body to the doctor very easily. So that's really important. And if you have anything on your skin or inside your mouth that you want to show, make sure you have a flashlight or that you have a, another bright source of light that you can shine on it to make it easy for your doctor to see. That, and that's probably the most important thing as far as clothing. Great. So, Dr. Thomas, you've shared a lot of really good information today about telehealth. As we're wrapping up, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share? Uh, sure. Uh, unfortunately, with COVID-19, I think that we're going to have telehealth and tele telemedicine for quite a long time because we all need to protect each other. Our patients are on, on immunosuppressants especially. We don't want them coming to our office and potentially getting COVID-19. So until a vaccination becomes available and we're able to protect uh, our society and everybody, I think that telemedicines will be used for a, a long time. Even after COVID-19 is finished, I think there might be the possibility that Medicare and insurance may continue to allow us to use this rather than only letting us use it for people in remote areas. Hopefully they'll see that this is actually a very convenient yet very effective way for people to get health care in patients who are stable, you know, who have been in remission, who basically need to have a checkup to get set up for labs and so forth. Um, so I think that hopefully that this might continue even after COVID-19. And, and then I would highly recommend that patients go to the Lupus Foundation of America website. If you go to lupus.org, uh, that'll be their main uh, website page. And if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see some fantastic COVID-19 resources, some great articles about uh, what to do about COVID-19, how to protect yourself. Uh, it answers a lot of questions about the medications such as hydroxychloroquine, et cetera. And then when you go to this podcast on the lupus.org website, they also will have some telehealth resources and some uh, FAQs that you can read about as well to get more information about telehealth and telemedicine. Absolutely. And Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure. The information that you shared about telehealth, even the tips on how to prepare for a doctor's visit are so valuable, especially during this time. And as you mentioned, I encourage all of you listening in to visit our website, lupus.org. And if you would like to learn more about living well with lupus, you can find additional resources on the National Resource Center on Lupus at lupus.org resources. And if you would like to talk to one of our health educators, you can submit an inquiry at lupus.org slash health educator. 
And if you would like to connect with others who are impacted by lupus, check out our online community, Lupus Connect, where you can talk with others, find emotional support, and discuss practical insights for coping with the daily challenges of lupus. You can find that community at lupus.org slash resources slash lupus connect. And finally, just in case you're not caught up yet, you can check out previous episodes of the expert series and also subscribe to the series so you won't miss our future episodes by visiting lupus.org slash the expert series. Thank you so much. Have a great day.